1: Hello everyone, happy Monday and my guest today is no stranger to testing the limits of human endurance. With over a decade of pushing the boundaries of iron distance triathlons under their belts, they are the only UK athlete to complete a continuous double-decker That's, if I've got this right, a 48-mile swim, 2,240 bike and 524-mile run, one after the other for a whole month. Along with a myriad of other mind-bending challenges, they also hold the self-supported record for running from John O'Groats to Land's End, which they completed in just over 23 days, all while pushing everything they needed to be entirely self-sufficient in a baby jogger. Outside of their own physical adventures, they are also a successful business person running an endurance events company and are a twice published author. All of this alongside being a parent and advocate for others to achieve their dreams. Before I make them blush anymore, (laughs) looking very modest and lovely, I will now let them introduce themselves in the manner of their choosing.
2: Hi, thank you for that. Um, My name is Claire Smith. and Yes, I am an ultra-endurance athlete and I run Brutal Events, which is an extreme event company. Um, And yeah, I'm a graphic designer as well. And um yeah, so that's that's
1: basically me. I love that you're so multifaceted with things. I know we were just we were just chatting about doing a variety of things in life and it's um it's always nice to to hear these kind of like different aspects of someone. So I'm just kind of interested. Welcome Claire. So nice to spend time yeah. with you today. Um I'm just interested in kind of winding back to start off with with the kind of your sort of origin story, what was growing up like, what's what's kind of led led from there?
2: Wow, growing up, I mean, um I I mean I was born in Bournemouth. Um we moved to Hereford at one point, which I really loved um and kind of wanted to stay there. My parents split up when I was younger and my mum brought me back to Dorset and uh, I was pretty fed up about that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it, my childhood was is, is, you know, pretty pretty normal stuff really. Hated sport, spent <laughs> all my time trying to avoid it using um, the the classic card of asthma, which was really, it worked really well. So, yeah, I managed to avoid sport most of the time throughout my school years. So that was good. Um, And then I was a very young, well, not very young, a young mum at sort of 20. uh, And that's when I first sort of started getting into running. So, yeah, up until that point, I had done nothing pretty much
3: active (laughs) that's
1: amazing that sort of when your responsibilities increased then actually that was kind of the time to start challenging yourself in terms of running as well and I'm totally with you on sport at school and so many people who are really successful runners (laughs) or runners <laughs> and endurance athletes like particularly women I think like didn't didn't do sport at school I it didn't like serious, team sports yeah. either like hockey was not my jam at all I mean also why just for uh, just going off topic a little bit but why do we teach girls to play netball like I know, I know I don't understand ball, it. Ball, isn't
3: it? <laughs> that <ball's> just hard. <laughs> hey,
1: you can't bounce the ball. You can't yeah. run. Like you've got to stand on the sto- stand yeah, it on the spot. Everything.
2: And, and there's, all weaknesses and hand-eye
1: coordination and all that sort of stuff i found it's so difficult yeah really, no not a net sorry any netball players out there yeah. because we get lots of hate mail now yeah, yeah, I'm sure I'm,
2: probably, if we did it now we
3: might enjoy
1: it <laughs> maybe we should form like a renegade netball team yeah, yeah. everyone who was rubbish at sport yeah. <laughs> at school, come, and play, it, come yeah. and play some netball and try and revive some enthusiasm <laughs> for it so then so what did running mean to you when it first entered your life then?
2: I think I mean the, the obvious kind of like I wanted to lose a bit of weight I think after having a baby but I don't think that was the main thing I think it was because um, I was missing something you know beforehand I'd, I'd sort of been running a business quite from an early age you know uh, as a graphic designer I had a lot going on and then when I became a single mother as well I found it very isolating and I was also I want to say bored because that's really horrible <laughs> <laughs> but um, there was an aspect of just thinking like oh this is my life now you know I was very like we had a routine me and my daughter and I mean it's great times you know it was awesome being a mom, but at the same time it was a little bit yeah, restrictors. So I thought I kind of like started looking. I think I, I watched the London Marathon on TV or something, and got inspired from that, as like everyone does. Um, and I bought Liz McColgan's book as well about marathon training, and so that kind of filled that gap. Um, and I used to take Jess out in the pushchair really early in the morning before like, everybody else was up. And she just, she was a great baby. She just sleeps like all throughout everything. So I used to like run the streets with her. And there weren't baby joggers back then either. It was just standard push chair. So she would be <laughs> bouncing out, like in her little sleeping seat, you know, as I'd sort of try and build the miles up. But um, it was it was good and it it kind of gave me that buzz. I got it straight away that I was like, Yeah, this is what I needed to
1: do, you know. It sounds like she'd make a good like Formula One driver now, she can deal
2: with it. <laughs> she slept the whole thing. She never cared. She was a great baby.
1: <laughs> That's amazing. How did that feel when you were when you were doing it? Was it natural?
2: Oh no, I mean I'm not a natural runner. It certainly wasn't, no, No. all it did really was, (laughs) I just remember coming home and just having that sense of achievement and, you know, it's made me feel better about myself and I guess any, you know, um, issues I was having after having a child that, you know, perhaps like 20 odd years ago wasn't, it wasn't discussed quite so freely. You know any sort of those sort of depression feelings I was getting having split up from her, her dad and having some mm. issues with him, you know, I was able to, I didn't really realise it at the time, but I just came back and was able to cope with my day so much better. And so I kind of got into that habit and, and I recognised that running was certainly something that helped, you know, just like cope with life in general. That's yeah.
1: amazing. I mean, I have, I don't have children of my own and so I just have so much respect just one for mums but but doubly so um you as a as a young single parent as well and i can imagine that that would feel or could feel almost like quite in entrapment at, yeah. at the various points and so i can i can really understand how running might give you that sense of sort of freedom and and confidence in a way yeah.
2: and endorphins um, as well just nice to come back and you know have feeling good throughout
1: the day because you've done your run and things like that so yeah yeah and and the endorphins too <laughs> <laughs> so you said about that that was kind of that was sort of marathon training at that point so obviously there's a difference between going out with a pram um we'll come on to the baby jogger later <laughs> how you use that in different ways um yeah. not for babies um yeah. but and then go getting into kind of the longer stuff so when did it switch from being I'm just going to go for a jog for the endorphins yeah. and kind of mental health support and then it becoming right I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna do these things <laughs> I mean
2: when I was running with Jess I did and I went only went up to a half marathon which at the time was still pretty big. and It was the New Forest one as well, which was a bit hilly at the time, and, and that was quite challenging. Mm-hmm. So I didn't, I used to do my long runs with her, so I think I did my little runs, and then the longer run at the weekend, I think when my mum looked after her. Um, but then after that, it sort of tapered off for a little bit. I think I got caught up with life, and things just, you know, I wasn't being so healthy. Um, and, it, and my running, and that took a bit of a hit, Um and it wasn't until I had my second child, Jacob, where I was in a stable relationship, um, that I started there doing marathons. So it's like a 10-year gap. Mm-hmm.
3: Um,
2: and then I basically got bitten by the bug badly. And, mm-hmm. yeah. and then it went a little bit, <laughs> a couple of years of kind of like marathon training. And then uh, I think I did my first ultra was almost like um, a charity event organised by my running club Mm -hmm. and it was basically running laps around a playing field for like Red Nose Day or something and I think that was it I mean I remember running in the middle of the night just running around the school field which was utterly insane and it was very unheard of on those days as well and I just remember thinking this is mental and (laughs) I love it you know (laughs) I think it was that moment that uh, I got you know the the whole kind of ultra running thing.
1: Yeah, that kind of yeah. Anyone looking at this would think it's completely mental, and that's great. <laughs> How fantastic! <laughs> yeah, I'm. A, I I like a good lap as well. <laughs> just, <laughs> and sometimes you just have to take yourself out of your little bubble space and think, what does this look like? This Very generous there Claire, and also just touching on um the fact that running um and challenging yourself has kind of helped with some more kind of difficult aspects of your life um and if you don't mind kind of going there a little bit um in what ways has it supported you and how is it kind of because i can I can imagine that sort of going through um struggles with depression and things like that it can really affect your sort of self-perception as well mm-hmm. um and i was just wondering what the kind of what the connections are there between how sort of running helped you overcome some of those struggles
2: um i think growing up and having some problems um, in my sort of late teens early 20s with my ex-husband being quite violent um and just i started relying on alcohol Mm -hmm. a lot um just because i think ultimately i didn't really like myself very much and i kind of made the connection that when i drank i sort of would like myself not for very long but it would that would be my sort of like coping mechanism when i was stressed when i was feeling low i would use alcohol and then i discovered running literally could do the same thing and not only you know, make you feel better, but also you, you never, there was no hangover afterwards, there was no self-loathing, there was no, it was a win-win, apart from the injuries and stuff like that, but, you know, ultimately it was a far healthier coping mechanism, um, and it took me, I mean, a really, really long time to kind of eliminate alcohol completely from my life and replace it with running and other methods of <laughs> torture, um, but it, it, I, I knew it was like, from an early age, I knew it was the way forward for me. It just took a while for the addiction, for me to fight the addiction and get it completely, you know, eradicated out of my
1: life. Really. Well, that's incredible that you did that because um, that uh, it just takes so so much, and you've done that work. Um, so thank you for sharing that for for a start. And I think it's really important what you've just said as well because I think quite often people can almost kind of dismiss like oh well a running addiction is just replacing an alcohol addiction or like issues with eating and stuff and I mean I'm I'm someone who's suffered with an eating disorder for quite a lot of their life and um yeah endurance like running has has enabled me to <laughs> to overcome that I think yeah. and it's really difficult to um to sometimes to kind of like justify it or you feel like you have to justify it?
2: it's like, I actually think that if you've got an addictive personality, you know, people say, "Oh, you're swapping addictions. Yes, exactly what I'm doing. I'm fully doing that yeah. because I have to do that because if I don't do that, I'm going to slip back to other unhealthy addictions. I don't think if you've got an addictive personality, there's no point in ignoring it. You've got to face up to it and say, okay, well, what can I do? I'm an extreme person. I need this to what can I put in its place because the current addiction is not working. So I I, you know, yeah, fully up for owning the fact that running, triathlon, whatever, takes the place of other, you know, addictions that aren't healthy. Yeah. And <laughs> I'm <okay with> that.
1: <laughs> I think I think anyone when when it's framed like that, anyone would have to agree. And if you're replacing it with something that Gives you endorphins that makes you strong. That also will maybe come onto this kind of connects you with a community as well. Yeah. That is so much healthier yeah, than, than, than being lonely and not able to function and um, you know having an impact on on others in a really negative way as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that's really brave because you're taking you've taken ownership for that and 100%. and control and directed stuff. So. So yeah I just <laughs> have so much time and enthusiasm for that so thank you for being a, a shining light <laughs> and if you could just now sort of so first of all can you explain what your first decca of what that is what it involves and just take me kind of on a sort of whistle stop tour up to that and kind of the things that you did before that
2: Okay, so I am Iron Man. I mean I was at the running club. I was quite a normal runner at that point, just in doing marathons that was enough. My husband at the time um was a bit like, please don't do any more. You know, <laughs> marathons are quite enough. And I was like, Yeah, yeah. And um and then I heard this. Chap who's a really good runner, actually, like a proper speedy one, saying, Oh, I'm training for an Ironman. Oh my God, it's so hard. And I just remember thinking, That's the thing I've got to do next, then, clearly, without even like checking myself. And I didn't even know it was a triathlon at the time. I just thought it was like a tough mudder type running through fire over barbed wire type. So I was like, That's that's the one I'm going to do. And then I discovered it was um, a triathlon, which was really annoying. And and then or not just a triathlon but a really like a stupid long triathlon but me being me thought oh that's it i still got to do it so at that point i had to then figure out how to swim properly because i could only do breaststroke and then i um, was to buy a bike because i didn't you know hadn't ridden a bike since i was a kid with a mountain bike so i was then very much on a different journey the running i knew i could pretty much do so a bit slowly, I could just shelve that and concentrate on the other two things, which it was really a great experience. I had to kind of, I had a few lessons swimming, but mainly just working it myself. And the, the cycling was just a, a nightmare journey. <laughs> My father-in-law at the time gave me this really old bike that had like gear changer on the crossbar, so it was just (laughs) awful. I loved him, he was awesome, but um, yeah, it was hard. Um, And so at that point, then I was very much on a journey to sort of complete my first Ironman, which was incredibly tough. And in that sort of couple of years, it took me and my husband did actually break up at that point and it was a little bit to do with Ironman, (laughs) which is unfortunate. We're we're still really good friends, but we went in different directions at that point. Um, But from Ironman, which was an amazing life-changing experience for me. And, and again, you know, it was, it, it was like having my kids at the finish line and things like that, it was and very empowering as well because I was going through a breakup, divorce, and having huge life changes on top of doing this Ironman. And it, it was very, very difficult, but it also showed me what I was capable of doing when I was in a really bad state, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after the Ironman, uh, a company called Enduramand set up a double Ironman. For the following year and unfortunately when I'd noticed it, it was full, so I was like, oh dear, but somebody messaged me at some point and said, oh, the place has become available. So, and I guess at that point, that's when things really started to change because, you know, an Man is one thing, but a double Man is, is quite different. And so that was the point that 2009, I think it was that I then took on double Man, and it all started getting a little bit out of control. <laughs>
1: So is that an Iron Man, and then the next day you do another Iron Man, or is that a continuous? This, thing? Yeah, so this,
2: that was the continuous, which was the reason why I thought I could do it. And also, the swimming section was in a pool, so I was like, and of course, at that point, I discovered that swimming was great, but I was really scared of yeah. being in open water, and that was annoying <laughs> because that made something that was already quite difficult even harder. So when this double Iron Man came up and it was in a pool, I just thought, oh, brilliant! I can, I can handle that. So it was just a case of, you know dealing with the, the, the back issues that I had on the bike and then just grinding out the run and it was just yeah so basically the double Ironman distance so it's like 4.8 mile swim, 224 miles on the bike and then a double marathon um, and I did really well with it and you know I managed it and at that point I started thinking oh this is quite quite good but I, had, I knew about deckers at that point which is 10 Ironmen in 10 days or the continuous, which is, is over 12 days. I had heard of that, but there was no point that I thought, oh, I could do that. Mm. Even then I still was like, that wasn't on the radar. And there was, nobody was doing it in the UK. It was something that was held in like Mexico. And it was just not something that I was thinking about at that point. But yeah, so the double Ironman then led on to the Arch to Arc, which is a tricky thing I'm still trying to achieve. Um, and then that kind of all sort of fed into brutal events when I started um, my own company to then hold ultra triathlons in, in the UK. So it's, it's yeah, not a simple journey, but...
1: <laughs> no, not at all. And I mean, you just uh, sort of reeled off the numbers, but I just do want to bring everybody's attention to the incredible tenacity of the <laughs> fact that... So this is someone who is sort of self-proclaims the fact that they're a kind of a steady runner. Can swim breast can swing breaststroke. I'm totally with you on that. I'm happy paddling, paddling along with my head in the head in the air, doing breaststroke. And then also has back issues on on a bike. And still you problem solve. And think, you know what, I'm going to smash out a double Ironman, which involves yeah. running. Yeah, I can kind of do that. Yeah. Swimming <laughs> a long way and yeah. cycling <laughs> a really long way. And that is, and you've, you've taught yourself those things. And I, I don't know if you're just like slightly dissociated from it, but I just <laughs> think that is incredible.
2: <laughs> so, <laughs> I think it's so, it's <laughs> just I think if you want anything enough, it is like you just said, it's problem solving. It's like, how can I get from A to B? If this is is the problem, what can I do to get around it? If I can't swim more than two lengths, how do I just build that up and up and up? And and I think with swimming, I set myself a goal of, I had a pool boy, like a a float, Mm. and I would use that just to keep my legs up as I basically just did lap after lap of front crawl and I gave myself three months to the point where I would then not use the poor boy so I could properly do it. And I managed to do that. And I remember I used to cook the kids tea and I used to be in the kitchen, like watching YouTube videos about how to improve your like your stroke and stuff and all the mechanics, which I really kind of got into in a kind of geeky way because it is just about, you know, knowing you know how to break the stroke down and stuff like that. So um, I think it is, like you said, it's just problem solving and it's how much you want it. And if you want it badly, you will find a way to do it no matter what it is.
1: And I think that's also, it, it, it is a, it's a brain thing as well. It's a mental game. Um, and, a. a in a game that actually women can compete with with men at, on a sort of level, play, more of a level playing field, because it's yeah. not just about physical strength. It's how you how you solve those problems, both in training and the actual execution of things, which I mean, you've obviously got like, you know, the steely determination and resolve <laughs> as well. But that ability to also kind of transfer skills from other areas of your life into this yeah. and kind of, yeah, becoming a bit of a a student of the sport as well and having the um again that sort of humility to be a student of the sport um is yeah. really admirable I think and do you think that that comes into it because people sometimes think like oh triathlon grr, Ironman grr, this kind of like, strength yeah, but it actually takes some vulnerability by the sounds of it as yeah, well sure
2: yeah you have to be like completely up to and also the fact that I mean I didn't realize that when I did my first Ironman I was really really close to the bike cutoff. I just didn't, I didn't know. And I'm really bad at checking times and stuff. I'm not exactly, because I'm not particularly competitive. Um, I never look at stuff like that. And it, I don't know, it's, years later, I looked and was like, oh my God, I'm really close to actually being like pulled like, in off the bike. <laughs> which would have been, you know, I wonder if we'd be here chatting right now. <laughs> that would have been the case. It's just, I like all that sort of stuff. like synchronicity of what, you know, what happens, changes everything. Mm. But, yeah, I was completely oblivious. that (laughs) but you do just have to like be prepared at all times as well to to fail as well and that's a big thing i think a lot of people i'm I'm not going to take that on because there's a chance of failing i see that a lot with my events um people that are actually far far more superior athletes physically than i am but they will not take on the challenges because they think they'll fail Mm -hmm. which I find mind-blowing because I'm like, you're so much better at running or cycling or swimming or all three, and yet you're so scared of failing that you don't have the guts to take it on. Wherefore, I will crash into things and fail and then do it again and again and maybe give up for a few years and then go back and try again. And and as long as I'm constantly learning, I don't mind doing that. But, yeah, a lot of people um, have too much pride, I think. I mean painting's not great and it's not something that I enjoy don't get me wrong I'm not like yay screwed that (laughs) up again Uh, (laughs) at the same time it won't stop me from taking something on you know
1: yeah, absolutely. And I think, I mean, we can also glamorize failure, I think, as well, can't we? And I, it's really good to talk openly about it. But it is something that we also have to kind of own and say, yeah, it's on reflection that like that yeah. failure is it doesn't ever feel great at the time. Does it? <laughs> and <laughs> and that's o- that's okay, too. And actually being open about that and saying, yeah, I'm going to have my have my cry, have my like days of feeling yeah. like this. That's all right. But the stuff that I can take away from it, that's where I can go, woohoo, let's go forwards yeah. kind of thing yeah. and actually find some joy in that process of learning yeah. too but yeah you're right at, at the time like yeah no one likes to fail <laughs> but it takes real bravery to risk risk that failure mm-hmm. I think definitely so when you lined up when you did put yourself on the start line of that of that first deca that you did mm-hmm. um what what had you learned that enabled you to get there that felt like that was a that was a thing that you could do
2: Um, For the DECA in Switzerland, I think I was confident, I was really confident with that in a a really quiet way. um, So much so that I had the distances tattooed on my arm before I left, which was a kind of part of me was also like, you are going to finish this, because I knew it was just going to be a case of grinding it out, Mm. um, sticking to a routine. Um, and being super organized and also just continuing like remaining positive when I knew I'd hit those low points. There's no way you get through an event that lasts 12 days without having some low points almost, you know, on an hourly basis. it's a, It becomes a roller coaster. You're so raw emotionally because you're so sleep deprived. So you have to really keep in, in the forefront of your mind all the time is like okay I feel awful right now but in a minute I'll probably feel great and I'll be laughing and then I'll probably cry again and it's just hanging on like holding on. Um so I think it was it was the breaking it down which has been a constant thing for me and it's helped me get through an awful lot of things over the years. Um, and also just having that routine and being super organised and sticking to that. Because that is if you just keep to that sort of like timetable, you know you can get through an awful lot of of things long things with that and you know, they just being really organized
1: and but also the kind of because it is obviously for for multiple days many many yeah. days like what is that kind of m- mental process of having to kind of get yourself up for the next day and the next day and the next day
2: um I mean like I say I mean I had a routine so I knew that I I mean I like to go to bed early and get up early um, so I worked with that. So I think uh, I went to bed at like 10 at night and got up at two in the morning. And that was, you know, and then, so I had the, that four hours in the back of my van, which was awful, actually. I thought it was going to be really nice, but actually it was just horrible. Because when you stop in you new deckers, when you stop, you, you think it'd be nice rest, but your body's kind of like screaming at that point. But anyway... I have four hours in a dark van where essentially I would try to sleep Um, and then I'd get up and and then I would break it down into a a section like so for the marathon for example I would do the first half marathon you know from two o'clock until whatever time and then after that I'd have a a, I think maybe a shower and then I'd I'd do the next half marathon and after that I'd have like a coffee and, and you know lunch or whatever so i'd have all these little sort of like you know milestones throughout the day that i'd hit and at that point it's just like if you keep doing what you're doing you know you're going to get to the finish point you Mm -hmm. just have to you know get your head down and and just crack on with it and try not to get too kind of like caught up with everything
1: and you've spoken about um with the swimming in particular um, the struggles that you had with that and panic attacks Mm -hmm. what does fear look like to you and how do you combat that when it comes
2: what's it in the water
1: Or in the water or just so we can talk more generally as well
2: (laughs) you know it's such a difficult thing it's like pain you can't really really kind of put your finger on what it is but like the other day I was swimming and There's a place near me called the Mulberries, and they're basically these massive concrete structures that they used in the war. And and you can swim around them from this little kind of harbor area where I live. And um, it freaks me out every time. I do it on my own. I force myself to go out there, and and I I have kind of like a mini panic attack once I'm kind of reached these big concrete things. And the other day I was like, what is the problem exactly? I wasn't having a go at myself for once. I was actually just genuinely like interested. Why my brain feels it's important at that point to have a panic attack when, one, I can swim, two, I've got a wetsuit on, which is really buoyant, three, I've got like this toe fling, which, you know, and it's just like, I've, I've got everything covered, I'm okay. And I've done a lot of swimming, I'm, you know, and yet I was trying to put my finger on what it was, and I think it's just like a control thing. You know, I'm not in control of the seat, quite clearly, and that's how it should be, and I think I just respect that and and things that could happen and maybe I'm a bit of a control freak and you know that's that's maybe what it is but I just I found it quite fascinating at that point to figure out what I was actually scared of when we sucked under the sea and like drowned it's (laughs) it's just crazy though but I don't really know with the whole sea and you know having panic attacks and what I'm scared of because I'm not scared of the classic everyone's like oh you know what's underneath it and I'm like Mm -hmm. no no I love all that I love all the creatures and you know I love you know seeing all the crabs and, the, and all the sea, the fish, and stuff like that, so it's not what's under. Um, and if I see like black, I don't think something like a monster's under there, so it's not even that. So I think it is more just a, a control thing. If I'm anxious, I like to kind of feel in control, and obviously, in the sea, there isn't a lot of that, you have to just you know go with it. Um, and Really, it's like the flying. I used to be really quite scared of flying and that was the same sort of thing. And it wasn't until I flew to Mexico in 2019 when I was really quite depressed. And it sounds dramatic, but I didn't care at that point mm. that the flight that was 12 hours long or whatever it wasn't an issue because I was so kind of, I don't know, cut off from the real world. I was so struggling to cope with life in general that actually if the plane dropped out of the sky, you know, at that point, I don't know, I just was in a place where I kind of thought I wouldn't care. Obviously, that wasn't wouldn't have been the case if that happened. But it was interesting how my attitude and my level of fear dropped dramatically because of my mindset. And I thought at that point, it's just simply a control thing. You know, I can't control the plane. So then I'm scared of what could potentially happen. So again, that was kind of interesting.
1: So actually almost in terms of um in terms of your competitions where you can break things down, have a checklist, have a schedule, and yeah. it's a long time to be doing some tough things, but is that yeah. almost less scary in a way than things outside of your control in life?
2: Yeah, I mean definitely, yeah. Except when you put the English channel into it and that's yeah. really long and you can't break that down into anything. <laughs>
1: it's a lot of water in that thing it's a lot of water and it's a lot of swimming you cannot
2: get out and have a little cry and get back in you just you just got to keep going which is why it's so
1: hard yeah I think um we'll, we'll save the English channel for a second and <laughs> maybe let it maybe let it creep in again <laughs> in a minute um but so after you you finished the you finished the decker in Switzerland wasn't yeah it? um and then you thought let's go double (laughs) Um, because that that wasn't difficult enough um and let's go double also at a time um when when you have just said that it it came at quite a difficult time Mm. in your life as well so what was the kind of decision making process that um that took you there or or lack of decision making process
2: (laughs) I mean that that year was just an awful year and things bad things just kept happening and um and I think I didn't even know when I decided I was going to do the double decker. It was on the radar for sure, because I bought a bike. So obviously I thought I was going. Mm-hmm. But there wasn't an awful lot of training going on, not structured anyway. Um, and then I was actually running our oh, brutal events as double, de- uh, double decker, not double, um, in the July, which is quite a difficult event to run anyway for, for us as crew. Um, And so I remember thinking then, I don't have to do it. You know, no one's going to think anything bad of me if I don't go. But I was sort of like, just just very kind of, maybe I'll go, maybe I won't. Um, And then I think a few other bad things happened. And and I think at that point, it didn't even become about a sporting event. It was more, um, how can I get away from my life? How can I escape and do something that, I knew would just completely absorb me and stop me from having to deal with myself, which is crazy because when you're doing ultra sport, you all you are is in your head. And mm. I think in a sense, I knew from having the experience in Switzerland, which was a very positive one, that this I get a very similar thing in Mexico, that it would just be you you're in a bubble, essentially, with a bunch of other people that are very cool and weird, just like how you are and and you, you, you're just pushing yourself every day just becomes a kind of almost minute by minute you know oh, i've got a puncture i have to deal with that or i need to eat because of this And oh, the weather's bad so you're just dealing with those you're not thinking about what's going on at home you're not thinking about how you know this is happening and it's awful and that happened and that's terrible and how do i deal with it it's a complete escape and a lot of people be like well, you could have just gone on holiday <laughs> and <then that's> time. <laughs> <laughs> but what the double decker did for me was, was kind of fix me in a sense because I, I went away. I, I arrived in Mexico in a terrible state and I came away and I'd been on this absolute roller coaster of a journey. Um, and I'd had all my fellow kind of ultra athletes who I only see every couple of years all supported me and we all went through the same thing. And I can't even really put it into words, but when I came back, like months later it felt like I I was better I was you know I'd worked through everything because that's all you can do when you're running and cycling day after day after day after day all you can do is just kind of gradually work through things and I think also because I finished it and I, I was pleasing myself you also get the sense of accomplishment and stuff like that so I came home like a different person and I was I was fine so yeah, <laughs> just took quite a lot of effort to you know get to that point, but it's a way of dealing with things. It's the way I deal with things because the alternative would be spiraling into you know my old previous habits and stuff like that, which obviously is not the place I want to go to again.
1: No, that makes complete sense. And the sort of idea of yeah, sometimes you <laughs> sort of literally break yourself, um, but towards towards a challenge um, yeah. in order to to put yourself back together in a way yeah. that kind of then makes sense uh-huh. moving forwards. And I mean, that sounds like an incredibly empowering experience and you were there in Mexico also without without kind of people that you knew and kind of crew yeah. and stuff like you'd you had in sort of previous challenges. Uh-huh. And I'm wondering, obviously afterwards you felt this kind of strength and, and togetherness uh-huh. and what were the kind of the, the low moments? in that challenge and how did you move through those do you have a particular strategy when that happens um
2: I think it's just the thing that I always have is it is breaking it down so and I I use this like in the normal day-to-day life if I've got too much going on with everything even if it's just work or or, you know like when I was you know moving house and stuff like that it's just break it down if something's overwhelming it's like how can I make it easier Mm. so when I came back from Mexico I had all these notes on my phone that I'd just been like typing out every time I had a break I'd then sit down in my tent and, and work out how many laps I'd do next and and then after then I'd have another break of this and it would just be a constant kind of like terrible maths game awful maths it made no sense all these it was just like some mad woman's notes but ultimately what I was doing was breaking it down to make it bearable
3: mm-hmm. and
2: I don't think I stuck to those plans ever because I couldn't because they were always far part- too like you know optimistic for me but it would be like right do five laps and then have a break then do four laps and have a break and then this will mean that you've done this many laps and you've got this much to go and it was just always about coping with the huge amount of miles that we had to kind of get through but breaking it down so it was manageable and it's a cliche the whole elephant you know thing but it's true and it's the only way i think you can get through these really you know huge challenges and also just when you're overwhelmed in like normal life as well it's just make a list but then just pick like a couple of simple things off it and do those and then move on to something else and it's I I swear by that you
1: know and I I mean that's something that I spoke to John Kelly about actually as well this idea of kind of that you do you do get transferable skills from Mm. um from challenges like this and do you think that holds true for you too Yeah
2: for sure I use that like all the time like I said just in general life when I've got like too much going on it's just like right we'll just break it down the same way as you break a a double decker down into something that's manageable for Mm -hmm. sure I remember in the double decker there was a point I never thought I couldn't do it until I got quite injured um and this was an injury on the front of my ankle and it just must have been a sort of tendonitis or something it was just getting more and more painful every day it was getting worse and worse and I just thought oh my god this is actually going to stop me this you know I've come all this way I'm three weeks into an event that I'd never want to do again you know it's not something a horrible thought but you know I remember saying to my friend you know I'm gonna this is gonna stop me and he said to me can you move forward still can you still make forward progress and I said yes and he said well just do that mm. and it sounds stupid but I thought oh yeah, as long as I can keep putting one foot in front of the other, I'll just keep moving until whatever happens, happens. And I became a lot more positive at that point. And I remember thinking, which is another weird kind of moment, where I just thought, I think it will get better on Tuesday. And I did it was like Sunday at the time. And Tuesday came and it started getting better. It never went away, but it then it was something that I thought would actually physically stop me. I could hardly walk to something that I then basically, you know, I got better with and, and started moving again.
1: Which is again, it's it's um, sort of symptomatic of that whole thing of that it's sort of in our mind as well. Mm-hmm. But the mind is just
2: as powerful our minds as the body do to heal it.
1: Yeah. yeah, and the expectations that we put on ourselves as mm-hmm. well. If we have these expectations of well, this is what success looks like. Yeah. Well, actually, yeah. moving forwards is what success looks like, and suddenly yeah. I can do that. Okay, I'm yeah. succeeding. Yeah. Um, yeah. Definitely. and like you said like if, if you don't have that acceptance of kind of little failures that you then work through that yeah. isn't something that's really possible because you just think yeah. it's a disaster
3: everything yeah, isn't it. what i, I thought it that's was it do. it's all over and everything
2: like that and Then you have a lot of things with ultra runs triathlon everything is is yeah is looking at something that you thought you were going to finish in this amount of days and then before you know it it's suddenly like yeah it's going to take you a lot longer and you have to reframe that and you have to also be able to bounce back from it because if you think that something's going to take you 16 days and all of a sudden it's going to take you 30, that's a huge change and it's like, right, I've got to stay positive and I've got to be able to be okay with it and accept that that's what's going to happen now and not just be like, oh, I'm going to give up, that's it, it's over. And
1: I've and- had to do a lot of that. and that takes a lot of you know self-sufficient resilience as well being able to to tell yourself those things without that kind of it's not about external um, (laughs) um affirmation either and so I think that's quite a good point actually to talk about the John groats to land's end that you yes. did as well because that was very very self-sufficient wasn't really? it um, so can you just why
2: that was, again it's something I'd never really thought about doing because it seemed really hard and I looked at people like Sharon Gaty who did it in a crazy time and, and and I was just like it's just something I looked at and thought well that's amazing I couldn't do it and it wasn't until my best friend's mum died and she bought me the Gator book years and years ago that I suddenly thought because I couldn't go to her funeral because of covid and I just thought what a fitting way to you know just be like celebrate her kind of life because she was an absolutely awesome person so I wanted to sort of almost be like do something amazing that she would fully just be like that's brilliant you know she'd have loved it um, so I just sort of got it in my head that I was going to do that at the time. I think I thought I was going to do it supported, but then there's a part of me that's like, if you do it supported, it's going to cost a fortune. I didn't have any money at the time, so it was like there's there's that, and it's also having somebody to or a couple of people to supporting people on long endurance things is really difficult. It's a lot to ask people, and I don't really like asking for help a lot of the time. So I was a bit like. I don't really want all the hassle of having to be like, oh can you, because then also you have pressure, external pressure if you've got to be at a certain place by this time and you know it it just adds complexity to it. So there was an aspect of that but there was also like, I kind of wanted to experience what it would be like to do something completely on my own and having to be like, where am I going to sleep tonight? Where am I going to get food from? I've got issues, how am I going to fix them? I want to be in that situation to experience it when you don't you have to put yourself fully into it so there was that um and I didn't again didn't prep terribly well for it initially I was going to do it with a pack which was a terrible idea terrible and I trained a little bit with it and realized how terrible that idea was luckily mm-hmm. um, and then I was going to use a, like a Hulk kind of you know with with kind of like a thing behind me like a, you know, oh, well, that was an awful idea as well because it was, it's easy to control those things if you've got a huge expanse, snow and, and whatever, because you've got all of the space. But imagine on the tiny lanes of like the UK and going through little villages. So I just imagined myself taking out old ladies this <laughs> It had no give. It was just like it was awful. And that idea went out really quickly. <laughs> My neighbours were watching the test for this stuff and just been like, what is she doing now? <laughs> um, and then and I kind of always knew that I had to use the baby job and I knew it would always be the best thing to use, but I was fighting it because I didn't want to look like the mad woman And I just had to go. I had to like what this set this pride thing that I had. I didn't want to be like the crazy lady with, and I had to do it because ultimately the baby jogger was the best way. You know, I'd had one when um, my son was small, so I knew how light they were, I knew how agile they were, um, and I knew it was the best option. So I found one on on like eBay or something for like 50 quid, went and picked it up, tested it up and down the road in a pair of flip flops, which was a really bad. Cause I was like, yeah, this is fine, it's not any problems whatsoever. And I, I didn't even put any stuff in it, you know. I was just so like blase, like, oh. and then the, so the first time I properly had it was when I basically started it, which is I, I hired a car to go up like most of the way, and then I had to get a train up to Land's End, um, John the Great, rather. And it, that, at that point, I realized that having all my stuff into this push chair and having to lug it all around, and I uh, and also going up and down hills was something that I hadn't, hadn't even thought about testing, which was actually, I should have really trained with that <laughs> because that was quite difficult. But yeah, so it just became at that point, it became me and the, the brutal, brutal job I've <laughs> um, <laughs> which was, yeah. Huge adventure that we had. <laughs> did,
1: did you have anybody like phone in and report you for suspicion of kind of pushing a child along the A9 was, or anything? It was, or...
2: <laughs> a, it was a really bad experience actually because I had I, the whole thing a brilliant adventure and, and I'd never wild camped before and I was wild camping in, in Scotland and, and well, a lot of it. I, I basically wild camped for probably two thirds of it and the other third was um, Premier Inns. Um, when I needed to have a wash or a break, or sometimes it just wasn't anywhere to wild camp. Uh, it was just too um urban and quite dangerous. So Premier Inns became like my I loved them so much. if I had a Premier Inn set for that night, it would be like, oh, because it would be like a bar and stuff like that. And just and that would be the time when I sorted all my kit out as well, everything would be laid out dried and stuff like that. So but there was one night and it was sort of down past where Bridgewater is around that area, and I was I, I was kind of getting to the point where I was a bit fed up with the whole thing at that point. I was getting like, this can be finished, you know? <laughs> I was kind of like, it's a great adventure, but I'm kind of done. But, you know, and I was having a lot of pain with my feet and stuff like that. So anyway, I, I camped in front of someone's, like... Uh, a gate into a field one night and it was dark when I set the tent up and so I didn't think and I was only planning on having like four hours sleep so I didn't think I would have you know any drama or anything but I was sort of on a road but I was set back enough that I thought I'd be okay but a guy I was asleep within minutes of lying down and and the guy who owned the field basically woke me up by sort of shining a torch into my tent and sort of saying you know come out now um, and he actually had did he have a baseball bat or something Oh my goodness. he was quite because he thought i was basically going to break in or something because he'd had people robbing him before so he was quite like scared as well and didn't know what to expect he'd seen the pushchair out there so i started trying to explain to him what i was doing whilst at the same time just like looking at I can't what he had i don't think it was a baseball bat but it was something and thinking oh my god is he going like trying to like attack me he was quite scared as well i think and then he said to me have you got the baby in the tent with you? <laughs> I, was just like, I just explained that. I was going for like John used to land the tent. He actually thought I had a baby. I was like, no, there's no baby. I well,
1: can you imagine? I think that's a different challenge. I'm not sure no. if it's legal or not. We can That'd be a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> you can look into it afterwards, but I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> Self supported with child is not on child, the idea. I, I can
2: imagine someone doing it, to be fair. I mean, you get like, the same sort of sleep, you know, like four hours sleep that <laughs> you with your babies, it'd probably be okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and what was the experience of doing it's like, not just doing it self-supported but as a as a woman doing it as well by yourself well, was,
2: yeah I mean I I was worried about that to a certain extent and I'd up until the, that particular experience I'd had a brilliant time mm-hmm. it was only when I'd Um, I can't remember where I was going through a town once and it was quite busy it was sort of that time of the evening and the people were kind of coming out of clubs and stuff and I remember feeling like I had a fair amount of money on me I had a bit of tech you know like garments and stuff Mm. on my phone and I felt vulnerable then and I thought that's interesting that that was the first time I felt vulnerable you know I'd well camped all through Scotland on my own I'd woken up in fields and you know and I'd had no problems I didn't feel scared at all but that Preston, I think it was, and that that was bad. And then with the guy with the on that point, with the guy with the the, the bat or whatever he had, <laughs> I felt worried yeah. at that point. And I think I was then starting. I kind of lost the joy of the wild camping for me because it because the more built up it became as well, the more people were aware of me sleeping. You know, Scotland's a great place to wild camp because there are so many places you can just type yourself away in a corner and no one notices you. But the minute someone starts you know, like I, was the last night, I think I slept out in Cornwall, I slept, it was at the bottom of someone's garden, if you like, but there was a fence there, so it wasn't their property, but she let her dog out, I think at like two in the morning, the dog came straight down the garden, and I knew, and I was just like, I'm so done with this, you know, because it was finding a place to camp that was safe enough that I felt I was okay, so yeah, you don't want to be too far away from people, because, you know, you feel vulnerable, but at the same time, If you're too close to people, they don't know what you're doing. They feel threatened by you. So it was a strange experience, which was mainly positive. And I would definitely say to to women, don't be scared to Mm -hmm. do it, but be prepared for things happening. And, And sometimes I would just be like, I'm done. I'd just pack up and get on the road because it was easier than lying in a tent scared or thinking, you know, who's outside? It'd just be easier just to, you know, pack up get on the road, do a few more hours, wait till it was light and then maybe find a corner somewhere in a field and and have a little cat nap and things like that. The the juggle was very much, I had to adapt and overcome every single day doing things like that. Sometimes the roads, which was my biggest problem, would be so busy on whatever stretch I was on. It was a bank holiday going to the Lake District or something like that. And it was so horrendous and it was so dangerous that sometimes I'd be like, I'm going to have some sleep. I'm going to find a field, I'm going to have some sleep for a few hours, wait until the traffic dies down. And times like that, I had to really, you know, troubleshoot because there were times when I was in a lot of pain, I was very, very tired and you'd have constant cars and people shouting at you because you were in their way and things like that. So you'd have to be like, what's the best situation I can do? You know, what can I do to make things better for myself? So I had to do that a lot. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, I got a lot of grief from being, you know, being in the roads sometimes, people were just really horrible
1: which was nice. <laughs> people are lovely sometimes. <laughs> people are lovely. Cars, people are
2: lovely. So people are like, if you, yeah, I basically became a cyclist because I was big enough and slow enough and in people's way and they they would overtake me, you know, quite dangerously the same way as they do cyclists, which was just a joy.
1: <laughs> and I know that you've spoken about sort of times when, when home and relationships have felt kind of un, an unsafe space. And do you think mm-hmm. there's also aspects of of this mm. kind of challenge where you are I, I, sorry keep coming back to it but but a single woman doing this for yourself mm. do you think that that kind of helped to sort of flip that narrative as well yeah for
2: sure yeah to take a you know get a, your power back in your life and things like that you still got to be very aware that ultimately you are vulnerable more mm. vulnerable and I don't I don't like things ever stopping me I don't like making you know I don't want to be that you know Delicate little female because i'm certainly not but at the same time you you could be overpowered by a male and it is it's a very realistic thing you know but i refuse to let that stop me from having adventures you just have to be smart and i'm always very i i listen to my instincts a lot I used to say to my kids, you know, we used to have a Jack Russell, and and whenever we go past someone who was a little bit suspicious, she'd be like, her hackles would be up, and she'd, you know, be growling a bit at them and stuff like that. It wouldn't happen a lot, but every now and again, she'd do it, and I would think that's her instincts, and she listens to them, because she thinks they're weird or whatever, they're acting a bit odd, but as, as humans, we don't do that. We try to be polite. We don't want to, you know, but with the joggle, I was always like, listen to your instincts. And if, if you think something's not right, if something doesn't feel right, then you've got to go with it because you're vulnerable, you're tired, you're female on your own and stuff like that. So, yeah, I very, yeah, I listened to my instincts a lot. And I got pretty savvy with where to sleep and to keep myself hidden because ultimately it's he, other humans that were going to be an issue to me. Mm. So, I would, like I said, I had to be tucked away so people wouldn't find me but at the same time not so tucked away that then I you know wouldn't be able to get out of that situation should I have to be it's a shame that you have to think of these things
3: really
1: well yes it it is but it's it it kind of comes back to that thing of you know I said earlier about women competing with men well yes we can and I think it's important that that can happen but don't also I sort of have conflicted feelings about this taking away the the kind of like female prize in 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 like long distance competitions yeah. because actually no we until you make the world so that it is safe for no. us and so that we don't actually have Additional things to overcome. A man isn't going to get their period halfway through running a marathon oh or something. when
2: I mean, like, <laughs> I've done like the Decker in Switzerland, I had my period like three times. <laughs> I was like, no one else is this
1: drama. <laughs> so yeah, compete equally, but also acknowledge that yeah, we do still because otherwise that's just going to be another barrier where a woman feels like sod it I've got to compete with men again like, and I, I have to do that every day anyway and think about that every time I leave my house and even more so when you're when you're planning something like this which is a level of endurance that's mind-boggling in itself but then you're contending unfortunately with a world that can be unkind to women specifically and that is a specific thing that needs to be acknowledged sorry I'm about to like get, get really angry but I think that everything that you've just said just kind Kind of testifies to that and it's something that yeah, we wish it wasn't there, but it's something yeah. that you can be shame, smart about.
2: It, it did ruin it from that point. And that guy um, with the, the tent and stuff, it, it was scary. But once we squared everything away, I didn't have a baby and everything was fine. He was lovely. He was like, because <laughs> he was visibly like shaken as well. But then he was like, oh my God, can I help you? Can I take you to the hotel? And I was like, no, because then we'll have to come back. And I didn't want to get in a car any time. <laughs> but it was, you know, lovely. But from that point, I was looking behind me all the time. then and I remember thinking "Mm, this is slightly kind of you know ruined it a little bit you know because I've now got the fear that I haven't had for the last couple of weeks which you know was a a real shame actually.
1: And how did how did finishing feel when you when you got to the end of it and that kind of goes into another question of is there ever a finish for you?
2: finishing felt really great i was the last few days i was just like i'm so ready for my sofa and I, I was missing my cats and my kids obviously and i just wanted i think my best friend was um, whose mum i was doing it for um she was she sort of messaged me a few days before and said Oh, will come down this weekend and we'll have bags of crisps and, and watch horror films like we tend to do anyway and so i was very much like focusing on that as the you know in a few days I'll be back home and I remember thinking as well I'm going to be back home doing the washing and you know but I wanted that I, I was craving that normality I was sick of um, it's not like a survival thing in the UK there's a co-op everywhere and co-ops yes. there's so many co-ops actually and, and they were great but it was just like you don't have to struggle for like finding food and stuff like that but ultimately you are always looking for the next place to sleep and it is it's hard so I was ready for the normality very much so I, I don't like finished lines very much. I don't like the um, tension; it stresses me out massively. So luckily, it was only my mum and my stepdad and a couple of friends um, that were at the finish line because I don't like the whole, <laughs> you know, big big thing. So that was the, the actual finish. Was it's weird sometimes? It's a bit like you kind of think it's going to be. You're going to feel a lot more like elation and stuff like that mm. but you know I was really happy um and it was really busy down there I remember that and then it was just like oh I'd like to sit down there and have an ice cream and it was just like back to normality then <laughs> I quite like that. That's fine that suits me. And, and, for- and is there a finish line i I like, don't oh, know I don't think there is. I keep <laughs> thinking there's gonna be and then I'm like oh I've just got to do this because I haven't managed to do this yet. So I've just got to take that off the list. So, and yeah. I
1: guess the big one for you that, you that you have mentioned and we can kind of come back to is the is the, <laughs> is the arc to arc yeah, to
2: arc yeah so that is basically when you you run from marble arch in London down to Dover swim the channel and then cycle from Calais to Paris the Arc de Triomphe um and that's a solo challenge and about 12 to 14 people do that every year um it's quite a difficult event to book onto there's a lot of people Mm. wanting to do it so it's not something you can just kind of you know enter on a whim and I've wanted to do this since 2009 um and I was entered for that in I think 2009 or 10 I think it was but it fell through just through problems that I was going through at the time and also I I don't think I had any idea of how difficult the actual challenge was which has probably been you know, better in a sense, because now, however many years on, 11, 12 years on, I know very much how, you know, what's involved and how difficult it is, and I'm still really struggling. So I was planning on having a go this year, but I've postponed it now until next year, Um, mainly because I just didn't feel like I'd done enough training for the level of swimmer that I am. Um, um, And also the time of year as well that I booked in was getting quite a bit colder and I had not taken that into consideration um and the cold I feel cold a lot so it's yeah so now I'm going next August um so more training how does that
1: how does that feel on the approach Um,
2: to that I had a little bit so I had a few days like what we were saying earlier about failing and stuff like that I had a few days where I was a bit like this isn't great because I was very geared up for it it was only until the like the last the week before um that i pulled out although a few people around me kind of knew it was on the cards I was very hesitant I started to really get very stressed about it so I had a bit of like a few days where I felt really kind of not really low but just a bit like I've done all this training what what am I supposed to do now um and then fortunately I know somebody who does the Windermere swims um and I text him and said have you got any yet in the spaces and he was like yeah like but it's saturday and i was like okay i'll see you saturday and so i went up and swam windermere and actually managed to to finish that so i was mm-hmm. you know that was a decent swim for me it was really quite challenging and i was bloody freezing as well so as much as it wasn't the finish of the season that i wanted it i felt like i'd done a lot of work i'd achieved something positive i was I've got plans for next year to ensure that I'm ready for next year to give it my best shot. And so I was able to kind of, you know, feel better about the situation. A few years before, I may have just, you know, felt really sorry for myself and just gone into a bit of a stunt. But I think I dealt with it quite well for me this time. So yeah
1: and do you think that is the ultimate challenge for you
2: oh yeah 100 percent. at the moment <laughs> yeah I really I just yeah I mean it's a beast for me it's mm-hmm. an absolute beast for most people it is as well to be fair it's, it's real difficult you know even if you're a really good sea swimmer and you like it which would be better and I'm getting better and I, I've made huge strides this year in terms of my you know swimming in tropical waters and actually enjoying it a lot more um and becoming far more confident. I mean I've I'm probably like hundred percent better swimmer than I was last year, this year. So I've made huge strides. But it's it's hard to see when I was supposed to be actually doing it, you know, but it's a very difficult challenge and it is it is for me a lot of people say to me, oh, surely the double deck is harder than than the belt." but it, in terms of mileage and stuff like that, it looks like it, it should be but it's it's absolutely not because this just English channel. I mean it's a monster mm-hmm. isn't it?
1: Yeah, and as as we've said, it's that it's that mental barriers, those those mental barriers of of breaking down the fear of open water and things, and that must yeah. be immense immense for
2: you. And it's so difficult because you can't you can't get out. There's no, you know, with, even with like a 48 mile swim in, in the double decker, that's a huge distance. But you could stop at the end. You can put your feet down. You can even have a little cry if you want to, mm. and you can eat something and you can get on with it. But in the channel. There's no point in crying because all the water fills up in your goggles. (laughs) And it's just, it's a very lonely, isolating time, but only in your head. All you can do is see people on the boat. You know, yes, you stop to feed, but your feeds shouldn't be any more than 20 to 30 seconds. So they're incredibly stressful. They're not fun. So it's just, it's a, you know, it's a hard thing and there's no breaking. You can break it down, but it's not, it's not fun.
1: <laughs> it's not even on the fun scale.
2: It's like no, no, no. <laughs> but then I think that's why I like it because it's like, you know, what's the point in keep doing things? I'm not the sort of person to keep going back and doing the same thing over and over again. If I've done it, I'm happy to leave that. I just leave it alone and I've managed to finish. It. I'm not going to go back and do it again. So I think you know the extra arc, arc is, I like a challenge when I see something that I don't know if I can do it or not. And that's the art short
1: perfectly encapsulates that. <laughs> and every but everything that you learn um through these personal challenges, um, I can kind of I can kind of see that being channeled into, into brutal events, which is <laughs> obviously your baby in terms of you're a businesswoman as well, and all of that kind of well it's a triumph of endurance and perseverance in itself really <laughs> it is, um, yeah. and so if you've just got a little bit of time just to talk about kind of how that started and has grown and and where you kind of see it going as well that would be really interesting. yeah so I
2: mean I literally started brutal like, accidentally um I did the double man in um and it was in Litchfield in Birmingham which is no offense to anyone who lives there it's <laughs> not the most inspirational places um and i think i went and did the snowdonia marathon and i'd never been to north wales and i did that marathon and i just remember being absolutely blown away by the surroundings and just the whole thing so it that's what you know kind of something stirred inside and i was just like and i think i was just like at the time as a single mum I was really struggling financially. I think I was doing a bit of everything. So I was like cleaning, I was working as an auxiliary nurse, I was doing some graphic design. I think I remember coming back from like, well, I was cleaning. And I, was, I used to put my headphones on and just like think a lot. And I think my brain just started going like, Why? Why not put a double Ironman on in North Wales? Um, And it basically, I I sort of started emailing the council up there and the council, North Wales, um, Gwynedd Council, they were so helpful, they were just, instead of like a lot of councils that would be like, no, stupid (laughs) idea, they were like, bring it on, that's fantastic, come and speak to us, you know. Um, what they didn't say to me was actually do a presentation prepare a presentation and come and see us so they didn't tell me that I don't think but when I went up there they they basically kind of threw it on me and said right now you do your presentation and I hadn't got anything prepared at all and I'd literally driven up that morning as well like a seven hour drive so I remember just literally thinking I had like 12 people of the council all in front of me thinking I'm gonna have to wing this because I wanted it so badly I thought if I don't do this they're not going to allow me to put the event on and I've got I've got the police I've got the fire department I've got paramedics I've got the council and I had to literally just wing this presentation <laughs> this event I've never had no idea what I'm doing I've no experience in putting events on I was just graphic design so it was just it was a real kind of like yeah learning just literally on the fly and I think I could just see it in my head and at the time it was just going to be a double Ironman Which I learned through experience um, was never going to pay the bills. Mm -hmm. So then I had to basically look at how I could, you know, get a lot of other people involved so we could put the double on. Um, So that's when I put a half Iron Man on the full. Not, I mean, obviously it started so we could pay for the double, but it was, that became, you know, a huge challenge in itself. Um, And then, other events started sort of like coming up and I thought, like oh I can put on a marathon here I could do this that. And, and yeah so it, it kind of grew and over the years has become you know kind of known for doing crazy things <laughs> and it's not um, you know it's not a huge money maker at all and it's incredibly hard work but Um, And I've got a business partner now, um, Mm -hmm. Jim, who we we met through because he's done all of my brutal events. So He's literally done the double and the triple and the one and all that. So I knew he was the right person to get involved. And at the point before I did the double decker, when I was very low, I was pretty much wanting to stop working. I'd had enough of doing events because they're very, very stressful. There's a very, like, there's a real serious side to them. Um, And I I just kind of got to that point and I said to him, I can't do this anymore. And he's like you know, you have to keep you can't stop brutal. Well. so that's when he got involved and he's really really helped you know support me kept my you know sort of rejuvenated me if you like um and so now we, we run brutal together so that's worked out really well
1: Maybe for him, very <laughs> And I mean, it's it's called brutal events, and you are kind of affectionately known as brutal Claire. As well. But I mean, uh, just talking to you, you are lovely, Claire. And <laughs> just and for um, when when people read your books as well, pretty much from the first page, any kind of preconceptions of what somebody who does hard things in inverted commas like immediately gets broken down by your open style and sort of presenting your vulnerabilities as well for people to identify with and and brutal events itself is also about you supporting people to do Mm -hmm. hard things they are not kind of inaccessible (laughs) challenges um so how do you kind of get that balance between something being really hard but also accessible for people and and how does yeah. that kind of reflect you as well as a person? that's
2: actually quite difficult I think because I am I'm I base a lot of uh, cut-off times on my times because I think I'm like on that athlete who's going to be very slow always getting lost you know so I, I base the cut-offs on the sort of time that I think I could achieve I do like supporting slower athletes or or newbies, you know, I I I really enjoy those people who, you know, you can see they've worked really hard and when they cross the finish line, it's a real you can just see the whole journey, you know, it's just so emotional. Um I really enjoy that and Jim does as well. And Jim's a better athlete, faster athlete than me. So we have the kind of mix of both where we can appreciate both, you know, the guys who race hard and and, and you know can really good times and then you've got me so we've can we got everything covered but we try I mean we have to have cut-offs that's it's a difficult thing but you know we do like to work with people to ensure that you know they can achieve things um it's a fine line because sometimes you have to be like like we've had to stop people you know this year at Brutal and stuff that we're doing the double and it breaks my heart because you know you could let them carry on but then I think back you know I've done some awful things where if people would let me carry on I'd have finished them but it's just not always the case so there's a line that you know sometimes you have to be like a bit firmer but I like people to finish you know it's nice
1: yeah absolutely but you know there's there is a say obviously safety comes there's first safety and metrics, yes. everyone else um, also has you can't stay there forever and ever. For yeah and
2: it's as the events have grown bigger we've had to be a little bit stricter but we do try and continue to make our events accessible for people and I don't think because of what we do we're ever going to get too big either and you know a lot of people ask us questions and it's always like you know oh, can I can I Partner, can me some drinks on the bike course, and I'm just like, yeah, she can. You know, as long as you don't—they do anything stupid. We're, we're not Ironman. We're, we don't do that. We are. I mean, it, I used to get kind of annoyed because people would be like, oh, it's grassroots events, but actually, we now sort of like turning that around, and so it's not an insult. It, it's actually we're celebrating that. You know, we are just we're we're you know we've got a good bunch of people that work with us and have worked with us for years. And, you know, we're all a friendly bunch and we all like to, you know, to help people all the time when people are doing these events. So if grassroots means that that's what, you know, we are, then yeah, yeah, I guess that's more we're grassroots, you know.
1: And what has Brutal Events given you personally, do you think?
2: Oh my goodness, it's given me so much kind of confidence in the fact that if you, if you have an idea... Even if you think it's crazy, like I so I was cleaning at the time, cleaning people's houses, and you know I had this idea and starting this company, and you know, it, it doesn't make crazy amounts of money, but I'm not particularly money orientated as a person. I like my quality of life is more important than having a lot of money. I mean, I could be earning a lot more money doing graphic design, mm-hmm. websites, and stuff, but I choose a better quality of life. I want um, experiences. I want adventures. I want to be able to go to North Wales and do crazy things. And, and I love to experience, you know, putting on a deck and, and seeing people's lives change. You know, I love that, that sort of thing. And Brutal has given me that um, that sort of, like, crazy life. And also, I'm not very good at routine and being, you know, 9 to 5. Brutal, it's no 9 to 5 for Brutal, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and it's given me also a lot of other skills as well. I, I used to, you know, I, I print T-shirts and stuff now because... Um, the company that I used to use were pretty useless. And I just thought, I wonder if I can do this better. And so I I've I've learned how to print T-shirts and hoodies and things like that. And again, like, you know, a lot of like the advertising and the websites and things like that, I do it all. And, and I've learned a lot with social media. And the writing is, you know, it's something, I mean, I didn't even have English GCSE, so yeah. um, I have now because I've I've done that now but (laughs) so you know being able to learning how to actually write and a lot of that came from when people were giving me I was getting people to do blogs for their training and then I'd take them and put them on the website and sometimes they they needed a little bit of editing and so then I realised I quite enjoyed that side of it I was like well how can I? I I don't even I didn't even have an English GCSE but then it turns out that Actually, if I'd have made more effort at school, probably would have been all right. You know? <laughs> so there's so many things in the events business. It's not just events. You know, it's learning how to write a risk assessment and an event plan. It's all that sort of stuff. Um, so it's, yes, I'm, I'm never bored, put it that way. You're a
1: lifelong <laughs> self-educator as well. You know that there is the school of life and you're certainly yeah. learning through yeah, the I, practice yeah. and application. We should never
2: stop learning. I think I love that.
1: And do you think it's that that's also given you the confidence to write your books as well? Because I think that that is incredibly brave and as much as a <laughs> as much of a challenge as yeah. as facing the unknown of of um, of a physical excursion. Yeah. The
2: book thing was a bit. I mean, I've always, for as long as I remember, I wanted to write a book. I just didn't really know what what it was about, and and you know, becoming brutal. A lot of the stuff in there I've written a long time ago. And I was just, I pulled a lot of it together when I decided that I actually was going to do it. Because a lot of people are like, when are you going to write a book? And I was kind of like, sort of am, but I'm not really. And it wasn't until the last sort of year that I just thought, you know, what, make an effort and actually start putting it all together. But it was, you know, to pull like 80,000 words together and actually also make it, let it flow and have some sort of structure. And That was a real challenge and that took a lot. You know to kind of figure out and then it was like how much are you going to share and I'm like it's no point in writing an autobiography <laughs> if you're going to not tell people what's going down and it's just like but then there was a real moment where I, I had done everything I, I worked with an editor and he was great and then I obviously I do all the design and the setting because that's what I do and and I then I had to put it onto Amazon and that's like awful the worst and, and I remember doing it finally getting it to the point where it was like people could buy it and then I was just struck in like horror of the fact that oh my god people were going to buy it people were going to read it oh my god what have I done <laughs> my daughter was like what did you think was going to happen now? and I'm like I hadn't even processed the book that I'd written all this stuff that was like personal <laughs> and then people were going to read it that was a moment. <laughs> that, all the
1: things in there about me.
2: <laughs> I know, really personal stuff. And I do find it a little bit even now, you know, years on, that I've there are some times when people say to me or I've read it and I, I almost I have to stop myself from going, Oh God, I'm really sorry. So <laughs> <laughs> like apparently I shouldn't apologize. It. But it's, you know, the, the the John O'Grates book was um the Joggle book was much easier to write because that was more about, um, it was still really honest, but it was just, it was more sharing um, the journey and the pictures that I took because I really enjoyed taking all the pictures every day. Mm. And that was a lot nicer. Um, but I mean, I loved the whole process of, of writing. And I'm now, I'm writing the, the arch one now, which has obviously been extended, which is good because I needed more words. So obviously I had to have, <laughs> it was a really Another chapter. <laughs> 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 but yeah, so I'm, um, I'm enjoying that process as much as you can enjoy writing a book because it is a bit challenging.
1: (laughs) I mean I think that's also awesome because it does play into this narrative that we've been talking about that actually your validation needs to come from you and that can sometimes sort of dissociate you from the fact that that in some cases there will be people out there reading and looking in at, at what you're yeah. doing but mm-hmm. if you if you come from a point of thinking I'm doing this for other people mm. you you'll never kind of like really achieve what you want I think so I think absolutely I
2: had the lady contact me on Instagram a little while ago and she just said um I don't know her but she just said that she'd been through a particularly like, abusive relationship and she just got out of it and she wanted my advice on how to kind of go forward and stuff like that and get back into the swing of life and stuff like that and I was just so kind of like I'm blown away that she contacted me anyway you know and just sort of said that she'd found my book a help and stuff like that and and so you know I gave her a bit of advice to not not be too hard on herself for a little bit and, and you know you know give herself a year out kind of like just to get herself together but I was like I get messages sometimes from people that have gone through or they've stopped drinking you know because me and a few other people that you know that's inspired them and stuff like that and I think that's the biggest message I wanted to get across especially with the drinking and general just addiction is that you know it took me probably not even an exaggeration a hundred times to stop and I just kept trying and I'm trying and it was just awful but it was just like I just kept trying and I think that almost like with the arch to arc and, and things that I struggle with, and I think, well, you know, if it took me a hundred times to stop drinking, if it takes me, you know, hopefully not a hundred times to do <laughs> the arch to arc, but I can't hold that. It's gonna
1: be a very long book, Claire. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah. But yeah, so
2: it's, you know, I want to get that across to people that even if you've tried giving up and it's just, you know, whatever you've tried, you just have to keep trying. It. At some point it will stick.
1: I think that's amazing advice. Um, and it actually answers one of my uh, short final questions. So we'll skip that one now. Um, and um, so, just finally, what do you think younger Claire would have thought reading about the things that you've done now? Oh, goodness.
2: I think she'd be quite impressed, actually. Because, I I mean, when I was growing up, one of the things me and my best friend used to say (laughs) would be like, it's better to burn out than to fade away. We had this saying, (laughs) I don't even know where we got it from, but we used to say a lot to ourselves and each other. And and I think that's kind of what I live by. It's just better just to do, you know, as much as you can. I don't want to get to the point where I'm, you know, on my last legs and just say, oh, do you know, I never did that. Mm. even if I tried it you know if the Arch-Domark, if I never actually managed to do it sometimes I have bloody tried it you know I just think it's that's kind of what I live by and I think younger Claire would be like yeah you're definitely doing that
1: yeah. <laughs> do it do it. <laughs> so we know that um arch to arc is is next in terms of, of, of a personal physical challenge is there anything else on the agenda um personally or um also with brutal as well
2: um, i think for me um events wise i i run the one but i've never been able to do the one so I've obviously done it over the 24 hours mm-hmm. and yeah so I know I can do it it's just a case if I can't do it because I'm not particularly fast um and it does come down to like the, my one of my weaknesses is discipline and training and stuff like that I tend to not with the arch to art but other events I've gone into them under trained and I've blagged it because I'm stubborn and, and it's it's not an arrogance, it's just because I'm a bit chaotic and I'm busy and I tend not to be too, you know, my discipline is something that I need to work on personally. And I know with the one of that if I actually had the discipline to train for a year, to do what I actually need to do, <laughs> I could do it. And actually that's it's something I'd like to do, is actually apply that and actually make myself follow a plan and try and do the one not just turning up on the start line going, yeah, come on, let's just give it a go and see what's going <laughs> to happen. It's like, you know what's going to happen to her because you've done it 10 times now, and you don't make it. And that's, <laughs> along, that's along
1: the Southwest Coast path. That's isn't like, yeah, it? it's, yeah.
2: Yeah, it's 82 miles, 24 hours. It's a challenging event. But mm. well, I think it's something I could do. But like I said, it's, it's not, not scared of the hills nor, or, or the, you know, it's it's purely the discipline that's leading up to it. It's the nine months before it it's the training I'm not doing and then it's almost like you know it's just not an event I can blag and I think I'd really <laughs> like to train and give it a go and try and do it so I can take it off <laughs>
1: cross-planning so yeah. training off the list of things to do <laughs> And did, so, I, did I see on the Brutal website that there's some something called a 300 that's on, on the cards yes. for next year as well?
2: Yeah, so we ran the 300 in um, York this year when we did the DECA. So we were coming back from York. We'd been up there and had a, a, a meeting with the council and things like that. And I said to Jim, I was like, should we put an event on just so whether the DECA does the run, it just goes around the lake? And I was like, what about if we just put an ultra run on? around that. And he was like, yeah, sounds like a good idea. And I was like, "Oh, that's 300 miles. And he was like, yeah, all right, well, we're there, you know, it's no big, you know. And it was a really quite, a, you know, it was one of those events that you don't, you think will just, you know, rub along by itself and stuff like that and quite quietly, but actually it became quite special. The people that were doing it, it was, it was, an, you know, enough of an event, you could stand on its own almost. So um, we decided to make it harder by putting it on in Wales. Whilst we're doing when we do the brutal is a the, the lake lap run which is really quite challenging. Um and so we've we put it on there for next year. So
3: hmm.
2: it's gonna be a a hundred and a two hundred and a three hundred. So yes, you can come to that. What, <laughs> like time, that. what time have you is that on? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that would be a good that would be a good challenge for people.
1: And finally, what does joy mean to you?
2: Joy. I mean, it does come down to like I don't know, just getting out. Like where I live at the moment, so I moved to Portland about a year ago, and I, I just I'm constantly surrounded by. I go for a run, and I'm just because I'm really close to the coast path, and I'm just constantly surrounded by the sea and just amazing, um, you know, rocks everywhere, and just great views and stuff like that. So I think for me, it's I'm very fortunate in the fact that I can have joy pretty much any time I go out for a walk or go out for a run. Um, there it is you know it's just being surrounded by the sea basically it seems to be as much as it causes the drama <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah it's not really yeah the things that you hate also bring so much joy
2: <laughs> literally that sums up my life <laughs>
1: What a great way to finish. Oh Claire, thank you. There's so much more that we could talk about and say, and hope hopefully we can have many more of these conversations where it's not in an interview format, but because I just feel so so privileged to have shared some space with you today. I feel quite emotional actually. It's been, it's been quite a journey. And and thank you so much for for your honesty and for, for being the open book that you said in our initial kind of email correspondence um that you were and um where can people follow you if they want some more information about your uh, own challenges or about brutal and doing crazy yeah, things so, um,
2: <laughs> brutal events it's just brutal events.co.uk um my website is brutalclare.co.uk and yeah instagram brutalclare and uh, yeah so that's basically our update i think
1: Wonderful. I will put those in the show notes as well, obviously. But thank you so much again. Um, we'll say goodbye properly off off air, but um good luck with all of your training and non-training. <laughs> 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 and we'll speak soon. Bye Claire. Bye. <laughs>
0: i am so grateful to the community that is growing around the podcast and if you've enjoyed today's episode i would so appreciate if you can share it with your communities and help spread the message of support perseverance and joy further if you have any feedback or suggestions for future guests you can find me on instagram at running underscore on underscore joy i'd love to hear from you thanks for listening and i'll see you next time for running on joy